Welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. My guest today is Joe Reinstein. Joe is the executive director of the Digital Restaurant Association. Uh, really interesting guy, work on an interesting concept. Asked him to come by and talk to us a little about it. So, Joe, thanks for coming in. Really happy. And to you be came here. from you. Chicago. I did. And so, how long have you been in town for? Uh, 24 hours. Got it. So you land at what? LaGuardia, JFK? LaGuardia. Okay. And you come straight into Manhattan? I did. And then what do you do? Well, uh, my mother-in-law lives here. Exactly. She's an avant-garde conceptual artist that lives in Soho. Interesting. So, uh, so do you like hanging out with your mother-in-law? I love it. You can't write. She's the coolest She's woman on the podcast. planet. You can't, uh, you can't say if you didn't. That's right. um, you stay with her? I did not. Okay. It's just easier. And I also, I'm just around the corner. So I was. Got it. Her, her whole studio. It's a, is it, does she work out of her apartment? Is it a studio as well? She, it is. Um, she had a studio upstate, sort of okay. Red Hook area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, sure. Uh, we have a house so up there. it's all condensed in the loft now. Got it. Well, and when you say conceptual art, what, what does that mean specifically? She was a co-founder of Fluxus. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like uh, Beck's dad was one of those, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Al Hansen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and what is, and is she still making art? She is. Very cool. Well, I just watched a, that documentary on the founder of Fluxus, George uh, Machunas. Machunas. Just an incredible doc. You'd hate it, but it's 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 really good. What's her name, Joe? Allison Knowles. Allison Knowles. Cool. All right. So we've already learned something uh, here. So you see Allison. Yes, I do. Then you go to your hotel. Yes. Then what do you do? Katz's. Katz's, Katz's Deli. Deli. Yes. So arguably among the very best Jewish delis in the world, yes? For sure. And they specialize in things like pastrami, <laughs> corned beef, hot dogs. Yes. You wait in line. It's a yes, long I line. It's out right around the corner from the bookstore, yep. podcast studio. You eventually get in. Did you eat in or did you take I it out? I ate in. You ate in. I wanted to drink up the entire experience. The whole, the whole shower, Harry, Harry met Sally thing. Yes. Got it. You're there. Yes. And you order what? I had a turkey Reuben, Bradley. Right. <laughs> So I, I kind of wonder if we should just end the podcast right here because you are the head of a restaurant association. You go to a place that has some of the best smoked meats uh, this side of the Mississippi. I don't make any sense. Uh, and you have a turkey Reuben. What the fuck? Well, it's delicious. That's and, true. Uh, I would have I would venture to say the Katzes would argue with you that their turkey Reuben is right up there with the pastrami. All right, you know we're gonna have to have uh, someone from Katz's on. We're to to no, no, this. we're gonna have some turkey Rubens. Yeah, sure, we'll just do we'll, we'll, we'll do a taste yeah, test. I, I I trust Joe. Next time Joe's back, we're gonna do a we're gonna order in all the good stuff from Katz's and turkey Rubens and and see what wins. That's right. Um, all right, so uh, Digital Restaurant Association, what is it? Why'd you start? Uh, the Digital Restaurant Association is an independent coalition of restaurants that have come together to protect and promote the digital restaurant business, the digital aspect of their brick and mortar enterprise. Um, and why do we need that? Obviously, we live in a world now where the restaurant industry is kind of both physical and digital. Um, so tell me, what, what, what the, what's the need for this? Well, it's it's really the digital transformation that has ripped through every industry segment since the invention of the internet. Right. And it's just hitting the restaurant industry a little slow. First, right. the restaurant industry was a little slow in adopting. Because it's so fundamentally bricks and mortar, or well, ha had been. It's really that, uh, that's correct, but then the pandemic hit. Yeah. That Restaurants closed, thing, right? yeah. and the only way to stay in business and to get their food to customers was through delivery and takeout. Right, which, uh, which is what percentage digital at this point? Um, now it's averaging around 30% of a restaurant's sales are digital and many restaurants are 40, 50%. And then within the 
takeout delivery world, are people still calling in their order? Or is that like 90% digital at this point? Uh, it's, it's moving digital. Yeah. Restaurants actually don't want folks to it's call slow. anymore. Yeah, yeah. Waste uh, time. Takes a lot of time. Right. Um, but they would like you to order direct from the restaurant. Because then um, they, they save the money on the platform. The customer but, saves the money. The restaurant saves the money. Everybody wins. But if you order direct from the restaurant, the restaurant has a way to get the food to you? Absolutely. And they'll use DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats, Chow Now, every, every delivery platform that's out there. Or they may have their own drivers, but most restaurants do not have their own drivers. But if they're taking in the order directly, they're paying less in fees than they would if they exactly. took the order through Caviar or Uber Eats or something like exactly. that. Exactly. That's right. Got it. So, um, And the consumer pays less too. And how does the consumer then access it if if they're not going on a platform like DoorDash to whatever order. the restaurant has. I mean, some restaurants still use the phone, right? Uh, but some restaurants are allowing uh, customers to text them. And so, do, do you think so? Just in terms of you're an average customer, you want your food, you want it easy and fast, but you're not a terrible human being, and you know that the restaurant could make an extra three bucks if you ordered it directly from their website as opposed to from the app that you usually use. Um, People willing to do that? You know, the the third party food delivery services uh, have created uh, an incredibly convenient platform yep. for consumers, and so consumers are hooked. It's, it's seamless. It's frictionless. They yep. remember who you are. Yep. Um, there's huge variety to choose from. Yep. Um, so they're not going away. They're here to stay, and it's a really good thing for the restaurant industry. Um, but you know, if you know exactly what you want, and you know the restaurant you want to order it from, um, it doesn't make sense to use the platform. The platforms are still going to use a delivery service to get it to you, uh, but you might as well communicate directly to the restaurant. The other thing is, is that, you know, a lot of people are gluten-free, dairy-free, vegetarian. They may want uh, pickles on the side, extra hot sauce. Turkey Rubens. Turkey Reuben instead of a regular Reuben. Right. Um, there's reasons why um, customer satisfaction will go up if you're communicating directly with the restaurant. You're, okay. you're, you're going to get the order right. You can communicate specific things. And it's better to be in direct communication with the people who are actually making your food. So, Joe, what is your typical restaurant not doing online that they should be doing? Well, one thing I've learned is that every restaurant is actually in a different place on their digital transformation journey. Um, but what I will say is that every restaurant needs to be doing something. So I'll give you three one things. Um, I talk to a lot of restaurants that are not happy with the current dynamic with the big online food delivery services, and they are tempted to say, screw them. Um, I'm not going to use them, but that's a mistake. Okay. They're here to stay. A lot of customers are using the platforms to order from their favorite restaurants. They're also using them to discover new restaurants. So restaurants need to be on the platforms. Another one thing restaurants need to do is to stay on top of new technology. New technology is the key to managing this digital world. Technology is the way to drive efficiency, to manage inventory, staffing, marketing, all for profitable growth in online orders. And there are some restaurants who still have a separate tablet. We talked about that in yep. their kitchens. They've got five different tablets from five different companies cranking out orders in five different sort of order languages. That's chaos in the kitchen. Um, and there's these amazing technology companies. And I think I mentioned them earlier, like Otter, and It's a Checkmate, Next Byte, Delegate, that excel at using advanced analytics to aggregate and synthesize all of that data. 
Um, the last one thing I'd say restaurants need to be doing is joining the Digital Restaurant Association. 100%. We're laser Amen. focused on solving these biggest pain points in the most important, fast growing, fastest growing aspect of their business, the digital aspect of their business. Um, we're literally fighting for restaurants every day to make their digital business more fair, more sustainable, and more profitable. The pandemic, as you said, obviously changes the restaurant industry in very meaningful, tangible ways. Um, which of those ways are permanent change and which were just necessary to deal with a specific moment in time? They're all permanent. I okay. mean, it's never going back to the way it was. I mean, in any sector of our society or in business, um, there's no putting the genie back in the bottle. We've all been affected by it. Um, and the restaurant industry is going through a huge disruption because of the pandemic. Uh, and it requires a major increase in focus on their digital operations. Um, consumers are on the platforms, so restaurants need to be on the platforms. If you wanna be visible to customers, both uh, looking for their favorite restaurant or looking for uh, something new, um, restaurants need to be uh, where the consumers are. When someone starts a restaurant, I know obviously everyone's different, but in your experience, are they doing it because it's an economic opportunity or because they love to they love hospitality, they love cooking, they love kind of that that world, and they want to be able to physically experience it all the time. Meaning effectively, you know, if everyone's ordering in, should, is there a reason for restaurants to exist or are they basically just lost leaders at this point? Look, most most people are enjoying the food in the restaurant and, and they want the ambience and they want the environment. Um, so that that's not going away. We're social beings and, and we like to, to have experiences with, with friends and family in, in a restaurant. Um, but restaurant tours are a unique breed. They got to be a little crazy. Yeah. Uh, because it's a super difficult business. Right. They, they go into it knowing the chance of failure is very, it's like a start, tech startup. Exactly. Right? And yeah. so they have that passion. The passion yeah. is to, to serve others with this incredible cultural culinary experience. And, and that's why they're in it. What percentage of restaurants did not survive the pandemic? Uh, over 100,000 restaurants failed. Of the, of the of one, 600. Out of 600, yeah. so about a six. Of, of the five, six that stayed, are they now better businesses because of the evolution towards digital? For sure, for sure. Um, uh, you know, in, in many ways, the, the online food delivery services saved the restaurant industry during the pandemic, right. um, allowed them to stay open, allowed them to keep employees, allowed them to keep serving food. Um, and it saved a lot of customers because a lot of people are dependent on delivered food. Um, and so, uh, they really, it's a love-hate relationship. They, 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 restaurants need the platforms, um, need the delivery services, um, but at the end of the day, um, they're in business to have relationships with their customers. And that's what this is really all about. Um, we talked about the passion that restaurateurs have in serving delicious food and culinary experiences, and that's why they're in the business. And it's about being in the neighborhood and knowing your customers uh, and delivering a great experience and value and delicious food. And when customers order through these third-party online food delivery services, the restaurant is cut off from their customers. I talked a little bit about mm -hmm. being able to communicate things like extra pickles, pickles or hot sauce on yeah. the side. But you know, it's more serious when it's communicating things like a food allergy. 
Um, and is, and is there a record of the DoorDashes of the world sort of not being able to convey that properly and people getting sick? They all will say that they, they can communicate it. A lot of restaurants, though, are just struggling with this influx of technology. So yeah. one of the things the Digital Restaurant Association is doing is helping restaurants navigate what technology is required, what's best in class technology to help them deal with all of these orders. So, yeah. In the early days of the pandemic, a restaurant would have four, five, six, seven different iPads or tablets cranking out orders. Right, right, right. And they all speak a slightly different language. The, the restaurant kitchen is getting different mm -hmm. orders coming yep. in in a different language. And uh, so now there's technology that can aggregate all that data, bring it all together. What so are those tech platforms that you think work pretty well? Otter, It's a Checkmate, Nextbyte, uh, Delegate uh, are, are four examples of companies that uh, the Digital Restaurant Association thinks are best in class. And they do everything from aggregate all those orders, but also they do data analysis that helps the restaurant pull insights from the information, understand, okay, what... When do I need to staff up? When do I need to right. staff down? How about how does this affect inventory on food? Right. What am I cooking more of, exactly. less of? Right. Because I assume until then it was just anecdotal, right? You kind of know, like, you know, the spaghetti with meatballs are selling really well, but you don't actually know the the demand for it the way that you would if you had the actual data. That's right. And it's and it was just dependent on your physical space and the people coming in. And maybe eight percent of your business pre-pandemic was online orders for takeout or delivery. Right. Now it's 30, 40, 50%. And uh, that's just a massive switch. Uh, and it requires a lot of technology and, and advanced analytics to figure it out. So the National Restaurant Association, which obviously has existed for a long time, yes. um, what are the types of issues that they tend to focus on? They are very, first of all, they focus on everything, okay. uh, including digital issues. Uh, we're partners with the National Restaurant Association. Mm -hmm. We love them. Um, we couldn't do what we're doing without them. Uh, and our partnership with them is super important. But they have a really big remit. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of what they spend their time focused on are uh, labor issues. Right. Um, and so that's been very contentious. Uh, but they also have a huge serve safe training program. Uh, they pretty much provide the training required for every restaurant employee in the country. Um, and it's an invaluable service. Um, so they're doing big and great things. They also run the biggest restaurant and hospitality show in the, in the world, I think, the NRA show. Yeah. Um, and so they have a big remit. And I think so, anyone ever, by the way, goes to the wrong NRA show and is either like, where's the guns? Or, <laughs> I know. I'm always very careful the to say the National Restaurant Association <laughs> show, the National <laughs> Restaurant Association. I'm glad you called me on it. Um, yeah. So so uh, they've welcomed us into their fold, if you will. Um, we're great. completely separate entities. but. They had a, uh, an interesting experience at the beginning of the pandemic um, where restaurants were open one day, closed the next, hemorrhaging revenue, uh, hemorrhaging employees, yeah. basically going out of business in a, in a New York minute. Um, and restaurants were very upset and concerned. And another uh, group of restaurateurs formed uh, a, a coalition of restaurants to help restaurants to advocate for government assistance mm -hmm. to float them. And it was the genesis of the Restaurant Recovery Fund. And actually, the National Restaurant Association was extremely instrumental in getting that legislation passed and getting aid and funding for restaurants. But this other organization, uh, their whole marketing uh, um, sales pitch was that we exist because the National Restaurant Association isn't doing their job.
So it really wasn't true, um, but uh, it, it rubbed the National Restaurant Association the wrong way for good reason, um, because they weren't good partners. They, right. were, they were using the pandemic as an opportunity to grow a different association. Um, so fast forward, end of the pandemic, uh, digital is becoming 30, 40, 50% of restaurants business. And we see uh, a real need uh, for restaurants to rebalance the power dynamic with uh, third party online food delivery services. And we approach the National Restaurant Association and say, we, we wanna work with you. Right. Um, we wanna be laser focused on this one area. And by the way, it's basically advocating for fee transparency Yep. and customer information sharing. And we can talk about those specific issues from a public policy advocacy standpoint. Then there's also educational resources and technology solutions. So we can be absolutely laser focused on these issues for restaurants. Um, and it sort of frees the National Restaurant Association to continue focusing on everything else yeah, the, in the, the industry. The stuff. Right. So it seems like within the world that, that you're focused on, there are the interests of restaurants, there are the interests of diners, consumers, they're the interests of delivery people and then they're interests of platforms, right? So how do they all kind of intersect and, and where do you think the current mix is getting it wrong? Well, the nice thing for us is that everything we do is good for customers, good for restaurants, good for drivers. Um, and actually, I think it's a win-win-win. It can also be good for the third-party online food delivery services. Um, they're figuring out what business they're in. So right now they're in acquisition mode. They're just buying uh, members. They're buying customers, uh, literally acquiring other delivery platforms or just in the marketplace, actively looking for new restaurants and new customers to feed their ecosystems. But they're all in a phase of private venture capital funding and investment funding that they're not profitable. Um, so they're just trying to capture consumer behavior, capture the eyeballs, if you will, or the customers um, so that they can then figure out monetizing different revenue streams. So one of those revenue streams are fees. Mm -hmm. um, uh, another could be actually monetizing their data. And this is where um, it's important for the Digital Restaurant Association to push back and help restaurants. I mentioned that you know the passion of restaurateurs are in the business because they're in the business of connecting with people. It's a one-to-one -one personal relationship in every neighborhood. Um, and the digital realm opens up the, the restaurant for additional revenue, new revenue streams, new customers. Um, but it's also serving existing customers. And the restaurant doesn't know who you are when you order through those platforms. And I use the example of McDonald's. They spend a billion dollars a year in advertising and marketing. Um, and... Uh, they uh, create super loyal fans for their products. Um, McDonald's French fries, people have a craving for them. My kids do. Exactly. Yeah. A Big Mac. People love the Big Mac and they have a craving for it. They've created that with an incredibly delicious product, but also a billion dollars of advertising a year. And so when you go to DoorDash or Grubhub or Uber Eats or Caviar or Postmates or whatever it is, and you order a Big Mac, yep. and you go to the platform looking for your Big Mac, you're a McDonald's customer. And McDonald's um, deserves to know who you are. They deserve to reward you with your loyalty. Um, uh, and right now, they don't. So what would, from a public policy standpoint, 
the right types of rules to be put in place in order to protect the interests of both restaurants and diners? And at what level of government does that happen? It's, it's so simple. In fact, I hope it's so simple that a year from now, we're having a podcast about how the Digital Restaurant Association is over. Because A year from now, we're just te- we, taste testing we, the pastrami versus the turkey. Exactly. Yeah. We, we, we've done it. We're, and that revolves around two things. One is fee transparency. Okay. So right now, no one knows who's paying what and who's getting the money. Um, we do know that there have been problems with drivers getting the full gratuity. You think you're tipping the driver, but not all the money's going there. That needs to be fixed. Um, but there's fuel surcharges. There's marketing fees. There's yep. promotional fees. There's delivery commissions. Um, all of that um, is a way for the uh, online food delivery services to sort of obfuscate what the real fees are and who's getting the money. So all we're saying is transparency. So a lot of municipalities during the pandemic passed emergency legislation capping delivery fees at 15%. Um, we think that was great. Yep. It was important. Um, but moving forward, we're really just for fee transparency. We don't want to meddle in free market uh, right. dynamics. But people should know how much they're actually going to exactly. Right. There always is that sort of sticker shock where like you think you're spending this much on dinner and then all of a sudden when you're done with everything it's you know 40 30 percent more it's like shit you know i might have ordered differently had i known that going exactly but also it penalizes the small guy so right now the independent restaurant is paying 30 plus percentage points in fees whereas maybe a really big multinational chain can leverage their scale uh and size and clout and negotiate lower fees so the biggest players are paying the smallest fees and the independent mom and pops right. are paying kind 30% the, plus. Right. And, and they're the ones with the most razor thin margins that can least afford it. Right. So fee transparency is one. The yep. other big one is customer information sharing. I talked a little bit about yep. this. If you're ordering yep. a Big Mac, then McDonald's should know who you are. Um, but that's true with any restaurant. Um, and it really has to, uh, with any transaction that happens on the delivery platform, there should be direct communication between the restaurant and the customer and the customer and the restaurant. They should know who you are and and you should be able to communicate. And it's not just around food allergies that I was talking about before. It was it can be as simple as, as extra hot sauce or pickles on the side. Um, but it's important because there are problems that occur. Uh, maybe your fries didn't show up. Maybe the restaurant forgot to put them in or maybe yep. the driver ate them. We don't know. Um, but there's an unhappy customer that gets their delivery and the fries aren't there. Or... The delivery never shows up. The app tells you that the delivery was delivered, but it's at your neighbor's. I've I've had that. Everyone has. It happens. Listen, humans make mistakes. Mistakes happen. They happen in the restaurant kitchen. They happen with the delivery driver. Um, And they happen with customers. But the bottom line is is that the big third-party online food delivery services have no skin in the game. They're just an app intermediary. And so they just refund your money. Oh, we're very sorry. The the food was delivered to your neighbors, or we don't know where the food is. It says it was delivered. You didn't get it. You don't pay. No worries. Meanwhile, the restaurant put all the labor costs into the food. They put all the food costs into the food. And and at the end of the week, one of the platforms will send them their revenue for that week, minus all of the, the deliveries that have errors. And the restaurants really have no recourse. Right. So instead of booking two thousand dollars that week. They get fifteen hundred, right? And the people we you know who, when you didn't get your fries, well, I'm not ordering from that place again. They, they gave oh me my, my God, food, you're they ripped me off. Negative yeah. reviews, you're incensed. Right. Um, in fact, your first reaction is actually to call the restaurant. 
and the restaurant doesn't know who you are. Right. They've no You're, access. you know, yeah. number, order number 226 from some delivery service. Um, and you start screaming, you don't have your food, you're starving. By the way, right. people, a lot of hangry people out there. Yeah, and also, by the way, just getting your money back, that's where I started, but that was an hour before I was really hungry. Like, that doesn't <laughs> help me. Exactly. So no one wins in that scenario except the delivery platform because they, they're not out any money. Um, but the driver's out, the restaurant's out, the customer doesn't get their food. Um, but these things are going to happen. But if there's direct communication... Yep. When you do call the restaurant, oh, Bradley, we know. Okay, we we put the fries in there. We're going to send you another one, no worries. Or we're going to give you a discount on your next order. Um, and so suddenly the customer has recourse. The restaurant can recover in real time from a negative environment. Right. Then there isn't a negative review um, and and everybody wins. But it's just it's all based in communication. And by the way, the the online food delivery services business model does not depend on withholding the customer information. They're still going to get all the same orders. The, we're, consumer behavior has changed. We have embraced to, the technology. Right. We're going to keep ordering from them. So, Do the platforms think that there's some sort of competitive advantage for them in well, not sharing want, the data? They're, they're not just in the delivery business. They're in the data monetization business. And they want to monetize that data. So They want to sell it to the restaurants. To other restaurants. Yeah. Well, they want to oh, sell to right. restaurants, yes, yes, but they also want to sell to your competitors. Right. So, right. you know, if you order a chicken Caesar salad, um, they want to show you other right. salads. So they're your vendor your that you're paying to do a service for you. And at the same time, they're taking the data that they get from your work and then using it against you. Exactly. Right. It's it's almost like how the social media platforms work, right? right. Same, same kind of abuse. Right. And um, in New York yeah. right now, there's a piece of legislation that passed the city council that requires the platforms to provide the customer information. Um, and it's in litigation uh, because they sued and it's being held up in the courts. Um, but New York City is a place that's trying to do the right thing for restaurants. They're also trying to do the right thing for delivery drivers, providing them with restrooms, et cetera. Yeah. So then does this all happen at a local level? And is, is it, that's got to be a hard part of your job if you've got to sort of enact change in 376 municipalities at the same time. Yeah, um, it is, but it's a joy at the same time. But also a lot of municipalities are, uh, you know, moved during the pandemic with emergency pandemic legislation to provide outdoor dining, to provide alcohol delivery, to um, to cap delivery fees. So there's there's a lot of legislation that's already been out there that's mm -hmm. pro-restaurant. Um, and so part of it is when that is expiring to make it permanent um, or, or alter it in some way. But also we're working at the state level. So Florida, Georgia, right. California. It's more efficient. Yeah. Um, we have uh, pending legislation at all that's pushing for customer information sharing and fee transparency. Can a local, this is now getting a little too technical, but can a locality claim home rule and say, you know, Georgia state legislature, you know, I'm Atlanta, you, you can't make me do this? No, um, the state trumps uh, what's happening. In Someone right. can call in and tell me that I'm wrong, but that's my, that's very, All right. if, if you think Joe's wrong, let us know. But, <laughs> but the 25 years or so I've spent doing this stuff too would, would say to me that he's right. Yeah. Um, so, all right, I'm just going to, it's okay, pivot a little bit to like, just, Questions I have about sort of the restaurant and food industry, since you're the you're, you're the expert here. Um, so uh, the first one is, why are the restaurants in the suburbs so bad? <laughs> I don't think that's true. Okay, um, there's fewer of them. 
I mean, lots I of people look out live the in the window suburbs. of this incredible podcast studio and, you know, you can see 12 restaurants. And nine and, illegal and, weed shops. Right, yeah. exactly. But we're in a densely populated urban center. And, and but if you actually look at the restaurants per capita, there's more in Stamford, Connecticut than there are in New York City. So, um, you know, it's just the dense population. But it feels like my, my sister lives in New Jersey. Yeah. And, you know, I had was out there and I had dinner with them at a restaurant in the mall. And it was okay, but we were in the mall. Um, it, it, you know, that to me just feels lesser. You're just a bohemian just a Manhattan urban snob. Manhattan yeah. snob. Right, exactly. there you go. Um, how do you decide? So you have this expertise sort of about restaurants and kind of a, a across the board. So, you know, putting your specifically poor choice of, of food at, at Katz's aside, you know, you still went to a place that obviously is, is highly well known and respected. Um, you're showing up in for work in Topeka or Fresno or Richmond, Virginia, how do you decide where to eat? Well, I'm, I'm going to rely on digital technology. And I'm, I'm going to look at restaurants near me, and I may be in the mood for pad thai near me, or mm -hmm. pizza near me, or Italian, or whatever it is. Um, and I'm going to rely on user-generated content and reviews to tell me how many stars a restaurant has. Uh, and so... That's another thing the Digital Restaurant Association is doing is equipping restaurants with the technology and the tech solutions with specific companies that help them manage that part of their business, which is now absolutely critical. There's a right. lot of people who will go on Yelp or look at reviews through Google platforms, and uh, they won't look at any restaurant that has less than four stars, just period. Yeah, um, It helps sort of filter. Uh, and so if, if you're a restaurant that's we're uh, struggling with reviews and that aspect of your business. It may not be because you actually serve bad food. It's just because you haven't created a customer feedback loop to understand what your customers are thinking and feeling about the experience. Right. Uh, so how legitimate are there? Like, you know, if, if I were to go on Yelp, um, do I trust that because it's a good aggregate opinion or is it that like in politics, for example, you know, it, the people who write letters to the editor are the people who have a grievance, right? People don't write and say like, yeah, everything's fine. Um, so is that the same thing on food reviews? It is. The, the, there's definitely people are more motivated by the negative experience yeah. that they want to share. They're pissed. They're yeah. upset. It's like the hangry customer who doesn't get their food delivered and they scream at the restaurant. Uh, when the restaurant doesn't know who they are. The same thing's happening. If you have a negative experience with the restaurant, you're leaving a negative review. So I think people, consumers are smart enough to recognize that. Um, and that's why you look at, okay, does this restaurant have 10 reviews and two of them are negative? Or do they have 2,000 reviews and maybe one of the three that's showing is negative, but they have four and a half stars. Right. So, then, then you know you can probably yeah, So customers know how to navigate the digital world. We need to help restaurants navigate that same world so they can win. Is there corporate sabotage where restaurants try to undermine their competitors by placing bad reviews online? I hope not. I, I, I want to believe no. What, what we have seen is that bad actors are extorting, blackmailing restaurants with negative reviews. So what, are they, what do they ask for? Money. They literally, so that's illegal though now, right? Totally illegal. So yeah. they, they email the restaurant and say, and do they claim that I had a bad meal here and if you don't give me no. a comp thing? No, I think they, if they're clean that it's all made up, but that people are going to see this review and your business is going to tank. 
And if you don't pay me, we're going to keep the review up. If you pay us, we'll take it down. So that's purely been, like mob tactics. Well, I, I don't know if it's the mob. I just no, I'm saying not the, but like, like the mob. Yeah. Right. Yeah. More no, individual for sure. versions of it. It is evil. Uh, <laughs> so if you're a restaurant uh, and you're listening to this podcast and that happens to you, what should they do? Well, I would call the police uh, and I'd try to create a sting operation. You, you know, you set up a dynamic where you're going to send the money and you try to figure out where the money's going. But, you know, a lot of time they're asking for crypto or Bitcoin. So the, the, that's not traceable. Right. Um, so they're smart also. But uh, I think that there's ways to, to catch them. You can also just communicate with, directly with your customers. Right. Just tell them what's happening. Um, and it'll call into question the whole thing. Right, which further I, than makes the case for restaurants not complete this intermediating everything to a third-party app because then they don't have the ability to talk to their customers exactly. in the first place, whereas if they have access, they can build a relationship. And, and then you're right, you're going to give them more of the benefit for the doubt if you feel like you know them than if it's just someplace that on Caviar you, you, you picked one time and it was fine. Right. Um, you know, you know, I, I thrust cities like Topeka and Fresno and Richmond and you respond with Pad Thai. Would you say, I mean, it seems like one of the good things that's happened in the last 30, 40 years, and it's probably part digital, which is part maybe broader cultural, is types of food that normally, you know, were only available in, in big cities now just seems to be the norm across the entire country, right? Um, is that true? And if so, why do you think that happened? It's absolutely true. Um, and it's part of one of the incredible, incredible miracles and, and um, brilliance of this country is that, you know, we're a melting pot and we have people from all over the world bringing their cultures and their, their recipes uh, with them. And uh, it's, it's a way for uh, people to live out the American dream. You, you get to this country, you, you move to Topeka, yeah. uh, and you open a shop, and you start serving grandma's recipes, and, you know, 10 years later, you got four of them, uh, or, or 40 of them. Yeah. Um, and so um, I do, you know, remember, I'm old enough that, you know, when I was a kid, there were, uh, there were restaurants, and there was Chinese food. And that was sort of the big... right. That was the uh, exotic. Exactly. Well, right. it was where'd the, you grow up? Big fun, Chicago. Okay, so not not uh, uh, not the middle of nowhere. Right. My first sushi dish was in Manhattan when I was twenty. You know, and my wife, you know, grew up here. Right. Uh, and uh, it was a staple in their diet. And New York was just ahead of where right. the rest of the country was. But now, you know, it's Vietnamese, Korean, uh, Thai, yeah, Chinese everything. sushi. But then there's also Nepalese pizza, yeah. there's Sicilian, there's, you know, every culinary experience is connected with to a very specific culture and 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 time and place. And it's a fantastic time to to experience do, it. Do you think it makes us generally more tolerant and understanding, or do you think we just sort of don't distinguish between what we're putting in our mouth and kind of the broader connection to culture that you just talked about. No, I absolutely think it's a, it's a positive uh, for our culture, for our society, for tolerance, for understanding other people, other cultures, other foods. Um, it brings the whole world to your table in your hometown. Um, and that's a really good thing. Two final questions. Yep. One, five favorite food cities in the U.S. or the world, if you prefer. That is really difficult. That's why I asked the hard question on this um, podcast. You know, I, I, first of all, I, 
I haven't experienced enough in this country or in the world to 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 be able to claim any sort of authority. Understood. Um, I just I spent a lot of time in Chicago and yep. New York and yep. San Francisco and Los Angeles. Yep. And those are man, obviously those are good big ones. top food food cities. Um, uh, but you know, it's it's interesting when you're when you're in London. We talked about you know thirty years ago in this country, it was like Chinese food was the the way to experience. Uh, another culinary experience in London, it's Indian food. So yep. I would add London to the, the list. The best too. Indian food I've ever had in my life is in London. Yeah. By by far. Yeah. I've never had been to India, so that, that limits me. Me neither. Um, it's the only way I've experienced the country. Exactly. All right. Last one. Yeah. You're going to get stuck in the airport. You have to eat, and you can pick which airport it's going to be. <laughs> which one is it? O'Hare, for sure. Because of the Rick Bayless, Rick the, the, Bayless the top, yeah, the, the, yeah. The, yeah, I will say that the, the Rick, so if you're, if you're listening to this, I mean, obviously listening, if you're hearing my voice, if you're at O'Hare, Rick Bayless, who's a Chicago restaurateur that, that does Mexican food, has a tortoise place. I think there's now actually maybe two or three of them at O'Hare. Um, and it is the single best airport food I've ever had. And you can order online in advance and go pick it up. And I will actually, if my flight is leaving from a different terminal than where the place is. I'll build in 15 extra minutes. And one nice metal hair is that they're all connected. So you have to go through security again. Uh, and I will go to whatever whatever terminal I need to to get the the, the tortas and then back to where my flight is. Awesome. I mean, big shout out to Rick Bayless. Um, I actually had the honor and pleasure of working with him. Oh, cool. I, What's I was like? a deputy social secretary in the Obama White House. Yeah. Uh, and we um, were planning the state dinner for Mexico. Yeah. And we brought in Rick Bayless as oh, sort of a guest amazing. chef. Uh, and it was an amazing experience. And the food was delicious. And he was an incredible person to work with. Yeah, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah. All right, Joe, how do people learn more about the Digital Restaurant Association? Digitalrestaurants.org. There you go. Cool. Yeah. Joe, Joe Reinstein. Yeah. Thanks for joining. Thank you, Bradley.